when it comes to the systems that we're trying to tackle in terms of slowing down the impact on climate, to be thinking about gender justice, the only way that we're going to make change happen is through getting regulation, is by getting our government to work. And that's where we almost have to recast ourselves as citizens rather than consumers. Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Janeri. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. This episode of the Hate Change Podcast is sponsored by To Be Determined, a career services firm that provides coaching for individuals and organizations. Are you thinking about a new job? Whether you want to or have to conduct a job search for work, why not use this as an opportunity to go for the role of your dreams? To Be Determined is ready to help with all aspects of job search, targeting, resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn profile development, answering ads and dealing with recruiters, networking, interviewing, evaluating offers, and negotiating. The better prepared, confident, and knowledgeable you are, the more likely you are to succeed. As a socially conscious firm, they welcome the opportunity to support marginalized people with empathy, understanding, and a passion to see their clients succeed on their own terms. To Be Determined offers a complimentary consultation to understand your needs and see how they might help. For anyone looking for work with meaning and purpose with a payoff that's more than a paycheck, go to the Hey Change podcast show notes for details on taking the next step. After all, your future is still to be determined. So be determined. Aisha Berenblatt is a social entrepreneur with passion for building sustainable supply chains that respect people and our planet. With over 15 years of leadership to promote social justice and sustainability within the fashion industry, she founded Remake to mobilize citizens to demand a more just, transparent, and accountable fashion industry. Remake's free educational resources, advocacy campaigns, and sustainable brands directory are focused on making fashion a force for good. Remake has unlocked billions of dollars in unpaid wages owed to garment workers with their hashtag payup campaign. With over 800 members, Remake puts pressure on brands to take accountability and do right by the people who make our clothes. Prior to founding Remake, she led brand engagement at Better World, a World Bank and United Nations partnership to ensure safe and decent working conditions in garment factories around the world. She's also provided strategic advice to brands including Levi's, Marks & Spencer, Nike, and Gucci on the design and integration of sustainability into business. Robin and I both have the privilege of knowing Aisha, and it's with deep admiration we say that she brings so much joy, passion, and inspiration to every conversation and room. It's impossible not to feel uplifted after talking to her, and we know that you're about to feel the same. So without further ado... This is social activist and absolute powerhouse, Aisha Berenblatt. Aisha, we are so honored to have you. Welcome to Hey Change Podcast. I am so thrilled to be here. And, and Robin, you know, you both are two of my favorite people in the fashion industry. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. 
Oh, likewise. I mean, you are probably one of the most powerful women that we know, and you're probably making more change in this world than most people can even imagine. Um, and so we're so excited to talk about everything that you do. But for the listener who have no idea about maybe who you are or what Remake does, can you tell us about Remake, your work, and ultimately, what prompted you to start this organization to begin with? Well, you know, I love it when women in the fashion industry come together. I really do believe that together we're going to make the industry a force for good. And that's really the mission at Remake. So within Remake, we do three things. The first is really driving transparency and accountability within the fashion industry. You know, this $2.4 trillion industry is mostly deregulated. Um, it has a history of oppressing women in particular, whether model or garment maker. And so we really speak truth to power through our transparency work, which includes, you know, going undercover pre-COVID to give you the voices of the people who dye and cut and stitch and pack our clothes. Um, we also have a transparency report, which you can find on our website, remake.world, where you can discover some of the best brands and some of the serial offenders. Outside of the transparency work, we do a lot of education and leadership development, which is really getting everyday citizens to have an understanding of how we can hold the fashion industry to account, to be sharing verifiable stats and figures um, in an approachable way. Think of us as sort of your girlfriend next door that's you know, teaching you about the fashion industry's impact on climate and waste women's rights, gender justice, and then what we can do about it. And then both of you, as you know, are part of our ambassador community. Um, we really do think that young people entering this industry um, can be a big part of the change. And so within our ambassador community, it's about building that tribe, leaning into community, both virtually and when we're able to in person, uh, to be sharing ideas, to be swapping, to be um, connecting, to hold the fashion industry to account. So transparency, leadership development and education. My personal background in this really comes from a human rights lens. Prior to founding Remake, I have both worked inside the industry um, with, the, with a lot of luxury and high street brands. I've also worked um, on the policy side with the International Labor Organization. And you know, when Rana Plaza fell down, it was the biggest industrial disaster of our time as it started to take days and days to pull young women out of the wreckage and for what, you know, children's place, $9.99 pair of sweatpants. Um, it made me realize that we really need change sooner and faster. And that's really the founding story of Remake. I wanted to build a community, a groundswell of citizens that are holding the industry to account. I remember when I first heard you speak and it was um, when we were getting ready to create the video of, you know, 10 tips about how to be more sustainable with your fashion. And the idea of empowering the larger community is, is so incredible. And I've seen that. I mean, we've all seen that with the pay up campaign that has blown up on social media. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And, you know, we've seen celebrities holding up signs that said hashtag pay up. Can you tell us how you came up with that and how that went for you? Yeah. You know, it talk about a silver lining during COVID. Um, 
I had never thought that our PF campaign would go viral and have solidarity between influencers and celebrities in this way. Um, but essentially what happened is at the end of February, beginning of March, 2020, we started to hear from worker organizations as well as suppliers that they were getting you know, masses of emails from every brand. So brands did this en masse, but they were canceling orders. I think it was a knee-jerk reaction because everyone was sheltering in place. Retail stores were closed. E-commerce sales were sluggish because we were all home. We just needed sweatpants, perhaps. We weren't going to be buying clothes for a little bit. And so what the fashion industry decided to do was to not honor contracts. And I think for people listening, it's important to understand that this was product tops and skirts and dresses and pants that were already made. Uh, many of them were already on boats headed for the Western market. Some of them had already arrived in ports. And here suppliers are waking up to, you know, email after email saying, cancel the orders, we don't want it. Even though the women who make our clothes had spent untold hours, hundreds of hours sewing that product, the suppliers were out of the fabric liability to bring it to life. And so in the early days of the pandemic, me and you know, our small team at Remake and all of you as ambassadors, we were like, well, this can't happen because we know that the industry predominantly operates on debt, that you know, if uh, so many brands and retailers are not going to honor contracts, what it's going to mean is that the women who make our clothes who already live paycheck to paycheck are going to be in a really precarious situation. And so we literally held up pay up signs, you know, uh, on our Zoom screens, homemade ones. So many of you as our ambassador community did the same. And it just started to snowball. I think it was the perfect storm of the story really resonating with press, with influencers. You know, it was my dream when Amber Galata called my cell phone. She's such a fashion icon to say, how can I help in any way? You know, the amazing uh, Cameron Russell from Model Mafia, just really standing up in solidarity to say, us as models, us as celebrities, we understand because often we are up against short-term contracts and not being paid for fair labor. And I think it really resonated even with people who work in retail or wholesale to say, this is what the private sector, the industry does time and time again. This is not about charity. It's just about business practice. And so we were just overwhelmed by the citizen solidarity. Um, and, you know, at the start of the pandemic, it was $40 billion worth of order cancellations. And through the, the campaigning, the relentless work we did with labor organizers and citizen solidarity, at this point, we've recovered 22 billion of really what was wage theft and stolen money. I, I still get chills to know that, you know, 25. I'm getting teared-eyed right now. It's crazy. I just, I cannot hear the story and I know the story. It's just impossible to listen to it, especially from you and not get emotional because it's like, there's so much power in that. And it's just a beautiful reminder. And I think it's just for anyone who's listening to remember that, you know, we do have power as individuals. We can actually move mountains and we can actually bring in the real money, like, there is a system, but we can crash that system if we just want to. And if we come together in, in community and in numbers. So sorry, I just had to like kind of 
that. That's why I would say you did that, you know, Robin and Anne. It was really the power of our community. And, and that's why I really do feel that when good people, thoughtful people come together, we can move mountains. And so, you know, in a very dark year, this felt like a bright, shining light. You know, there are people who worked in labor advocacy forever that were astonished at just the viral nature of the campaign. You know, suddenly people were on Kylie and Kendall Jenner's Instagram, like, have you paid your workers? Otherwise, I don't want your product. And that really is the power of, you know, using technology for good, too. And something you talk a lot about, I love your hashtag, which is fashion as a force for good, or maybe it's not a hashtag, but you say it a lot, like, let's use fashion as a force for good. For someone who may not really understand what that means, like, why, why do you say that? Like, what does that mean to you? You know, fashion is something I love. I think that's something all three of us have in common. And I think for too long, some of the underbelly, the exploitation, the environmental degradation gets swept under the rug. And then there's the glitz and glamour of fashion that we see on the Paris or New York runway. And so when I say fashion as a force for good, it's to say there's so much goodness in fashion, right? The creativity, the way we feel when we put on that power suit or that little black dress and are out somewhere when we're able to go back out. (laughs) And so when I think about fashion as a force for good, it's to say, how about we take all of that creativity and the way that fashion makes us feel, but also connect it back to our value system. And really the two biggest issues of our time that I think the fashion industry could be such a force for good is around climate justice and gender justice. You know, we don't often think about climate change and fashion. We might think about cars and oil and gas, but the truth is that the fashion industry pumps out a lot of product, billions of units of product, most of which end up in landfills. And a lot of our product now is polyester blend, which for people listening, it's plastic, you know? So we are depleting our natural resources, our very precious water, you know, the carbon impact in this industry is hard to understand because it's so fragmented, but we're just buying too much, degrading our environment and throwing it away too fast. And the other issue, which I know is near and dear to our hearts is, here's an industry that's predominantly profitable because of women. You know, it's women's wear that men don't buy as many clothes. Women's wear is the most profitable vertical in the fashion industry. You know, women are the ones that market fashion. You all as models and as influencers, you know, women are the ones that have the creative energy and the design, but also there are millions of people sitting on the factory floor that happen to be, you know, young millennial women that are working in oppressive poverty wages. And it doesn't have to be this way. Even in the pandemic, we have seen, you know, Zara made a billion dollars in profit that fashion continues to make outsized profit that only benefits the top 1%, which mostly happen to be old white men. And so when we think about fashion as a force for good, it really is about that. How can fashion really make inroads when it comes to climate justice and gender justice so that when we wear a beautiful piece, it makes us feel beautiful, not just because of the materials or the aesthetic, but also because it represents these values. 
when so when I hear you talking about how you know it's it's women all across the board you know really who are in, engaging in fashion both buying creation and also literally the creation you know in the in the factories and dyeing and cutting and everything um why why is it that women tend to be in such high numbers the ones who are creating the clothing on the base level you know on the ground level in the factories and stuff why is it so why is it so many women and young women and, and not men? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And, you know, I've asked factories this over the years, having spent a lot of time in production hubs and you get all types of answers. I think first and foremost, you know, the fashion industry and being able to enter what we call light manufacturing, sitting down on an assembly floor doesn't require as much education, even though it's high skilled work. You know, we don't like to talk about it as high skilled work, but it's quite difficult to be cutting and stitching and pattern making. Uh, but a lot of the women who make our clothes have no more than a primary school education. And this is where, again, fashion could be a force for good because it's a generation of women who are entering the industry, you know, first job supporting many family members. You often hear around the world from Cambodia to Bangladesh to Los Angeles that these women are often the sacrificial child. So working in the factory to keep their brothers or their sons in school. Um, and because it's low skilled work, they're able to do that without an education. I think this is also one of the largest mass migrations of our time. You know, a lot of young women leaving the safety of their villages and rural spaces to come into cities to be producing. So think about, you know, you're in the big bad city. It's almost like the first time we were at, in college um, without any of the safety and security at home. And you start to realize that the women who make our clothes are really fierce feminists in their own right, you know, trailblazers, which is different from how the media likes to paint her. So often it's women because she's the one who decides to not be educated so her the men can go to school. She's the one who's sending money home to support and sustain her family. The other more nefarious thing that I've heard from factories is that often they can push women harder, that she's going to be more docile. And that's where some of the misogyny and sexism comes in of, you know, an average worker is not just working eight hours, it can be 10, 12 hours. And I've heard this in Myanmar, I've heard this in Bangladesh, it's like, oh, when women are sitting on the factory floor, we can really push them to be working harder without there being a lot of pushback. And so that's why, you know, we really have to start to think about women in more leadership roles, to be taking on positions of power as supervisors and as union leaders, because in some ways, the fashion industry is one of the few jobs available to her till automation comes. And how can we, you know, assure that it's a way out of poverty rather than keeping her trapped in a cycle of poverty. From my perspective, it's almost a race against time because a lot of these jobs in our lifetime will shrink. And um, what's she to do then? I, I um, There are many things I love about your work, but one thing in particular is just this lens of empowerment. And every time you speak, it's you give a different, I guess, image to the garment worker. Um, and you just see her from a whole different light. And you remember, like, she's also this fierce young woman who is in control of herself. Um, she may not be in a position where she has a lot of control, but like she in herself, she has her own agency. And when you see your videos, and I can really recommend anyone's listening to go watch 
in all of remakes videos when they go and visit these uh, different factories around the world and you get to really see that beautiful young woman standing in her in her world and speaking up about things that she wants and what she believes in it's just so incredibly empowering and i think something that we we keep missing i think as consumers is how you know this is a bigger work it's not just about like it's not me sitting here and i have all the power because i have money which is also true but what i'm trying to say is like what you guys are trying to do with remake it's not just about like oh let's just fundraise this amount of money and send it over there so they can have food for the day no you're trying to actually shift the system which like obviously leads to long-term sustainable change and i do want to ask this question because i think many times we talk about fashion and sustainable fashion it feels like this monster where like it's impossible to stop and like okay i can go out and only buy vintage but then you all you have to do is walk by a zara or h&m and you're like oh my god that monster still exists and not everyone knows you know that we need to change so what do you think like as a consumer what are ways to think about this because i think one thing that comes to mind is that you know, at first you think, okay, we have to stop supporting this business, but then you think, well, if we do, then all these women are going to lose their jobs and that's not good either. And then, you know, like, and you start getting tangled up in this issue and like, well, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Because there seems to be no right answer to this. What would you say is like a guiding kind of thread or light or something? Like, how would you kind of answer that question? I know it's like a huge question, but like, what would you say to someone who's like, I'm overwhelmed. This is a monster that we need to address, but I don't know where to start. I mean, it, it is so complicated, right? When we talk about complex systems issues, it's easy to get overwhelmed, which is why within our remake community, as you all know, as ambassadors, it's really about first and foremost, coming at this in a bite-sized way and knowing that small changes add up to leading to lots of system-wide changes. Because if we are to be overwhelmed and then we pull the cover, the duvet over our head and say, oh my God, the world is terrible. There's a climate emergency. There's all this exploitation of women. I don't know what to do. And you know, we are really here to be an antidote to that. And I think it really does start with how you started this question, Anne, which is about who is she and getting to know her more in a humane feminist way. Because I think for the longest time, a lot of the cultural references, a lot of the way that media has painted garment workers, you'll hear these stories, right? It's like poor dark people far away, they're exploited. Okay, let's move on. And so our Made In series does exactly the opposite by passing the mic back to her so people can really see for themselves that these are feminists, these are hardworking trailblazers. It's not that they are oppressed and you know the white saviors must come and save her through charity. It's that the system is set up to oppress her. And so first and foremost, it's really moving away from that narrative that we as you know, Western consumers have to somehow save her. She's out there fighting, you know, during COVID, I cannot tell you how many workers have taken to the streets up against police sponsored violence and gender based violence and you know to be demanding their wages and to be demanding that they're paid fairly so she is out there fiercely in her power pushing back on this system and so for us i think first and foremost it's really thinking of ourselves as standing in solidarity with her rather than as saviors which is why so much of 
our work within Remake is about giving her center stage. When it comes to, you know, how can we address these issues in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming? You all know we created, you know, the 10 easy tips of how to live a sustainable fashion lifestyle, which, you know, I'd encourage people to watch. It's beautiful, it's light, it's easy. But I think it really comes from that place of the choices we make every day matter, but to do them in a way that feels joyful and hopeful rather than being overwhelmed. I will say that after many years of doing this work, I've increasingly come to the conclusion that we also have to recast ourselves as citizens rather than consumers. You know, it's a lot of pressure for us as everyday people to try and be perfect when the system is set up in a way that's doing the opposite. You know, so it's this notion of I must eat vegan and I must not do single use plastic and I must buy completely sustainable ethical clothes. But then it's to say, okay, well, COVID happened and now all the disposable coffee cups are back. And by the way, all our incomes are shrinking. And so maybe ethical and sustainable is harder to buy or, you know, vintage shops shut down. Now, what am I going to do when it comes to secondhand? And so I think it's to say of the things that give us joy in embracing a sustainable lifestyle. I know, Anne, you love to walk because that's healthy and you think about your own carbon footprint. All those things are wonderful. But when it comes to the systems that we're trying to tackle in terms of slowing down the impact on climate, to be thinking about gender justice, the only way that we're going to make change happen is through getting regulation, is by getting our government to work. And that's where we almost have to recast ourselves as citizens rather than consumers. We're not going to consume our way into a sustainable fashion future. But as we've seen with this election and being more closely attached to how we're going to be pushing for policy, that's really the way for us to be addressing whether, you know, reaching our climate goals or be thinking about fair wages for the people in the fashion industry. That reminds me of a quote. Uh, I don't know if it's a quote or something that I've just heard you say all the time, which is something to the effect of it's not going to take a few of us doing this perfectly. It's going to take all of us doing this imperfectly. Is that original? Does that come from somewhere? Because I find myself saying that all the time and I'm like, <laughs> who should I be giving credit to? Because that concept is it's soul nourishing. It's like it gives you permission to not feel guilty when you can't be perfect because we can't. You yeah, know, and, and you know what? That's what causes anxiety. And think about where we are currently. And there's so much that can lead us to anxiety where then we're just stuck, you know, and it really is about this one foot in front of the other. And as you all know, we do a lot of, you know, campus engagements and talk to our ambassador community. And the anxiety right now that I'm picking up on is really at an all-time high. People are really hurting right now, you know, whether it's the sheltering in place going on and on, you know, your colleges have shut down or you're worried about your job. And so I really do think that coming at these issues from a place of hope and inspiration, it's, we're not asking you to give something up. You know, we're asking you by embracing this lifestyle and this value system, you get to hang out with cool women like us. And how fun <laughs> is that? 
Well, I did want to actually um, bring that up too, how important it is to do stuff in community with others. Uh, and that's why I love your ambassador program. You have ambassador calls. So for anyone who's listening, you might feel like, oh, I want to be a part of this change. Um, you can sign up to be a remake ambassador. And um, I think it's just this reminder of like, we are not alone. I think it was you, Robin, who told me this, like we have to help carry the torch. And there are days when you're just tired and like, you don't feel like you want to be this eco hero warrior that's going to change the world because some days you just wake up, but you don't feel like that's what you can do that day. And then you remind yourself that, well, good thing I'm not alone. Good thing there are so many people out there working for this change, you know, at the same time, I may not be able to see them, especially now in lockdown, we're just kind of stuck in our own worlds. But I think that is what community brings you. You get that reminder of like, we're doing this work and I'm not alone. Uh, and that's a very empowering thing. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In, in terms of in, so when I started to do this work with both of you, really, you know, and really um, was life-changing for me and in, in becoming an activist and then, you know, becoming a remake ambassador, I've learned so much, you know, I, I had modeled for 15 years and I, I never really thought about how many hands touch the garment that I'm wearing right now. Like how many different people were involved in the making of this clothes and like their handprints, you know, I, I kind of think about that now, like I carry them with me. Um, so, you know, you, you've talked about how it's not regulated. How is it not regulated? Like what, what do you, do you, do you know about like the history of how this kind of evolved in any kind of, you know, a summary of that? Because it's so hard for me to understand how it's not already regulated. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is where it's so fascinating, right? The very first time I get this, like, what do you mean type of look when I'm speaking at schools or, you know, doing a remake ambassador call is, what do you mean? Robots don't make our clothes. I think, first of all, I think it's this like magical machine and just spits out these beautiful dresses or what have you. And much like you, Robin, you know, as I open my wardrobe, which is a very limited capsule collection, decide what I'm going to wear. I really do think about how many women's hopes and dreams are enmeshed in that fabric. You know, she's been working on it, whether in the dye house or the cutting house, and it really just changes your relationship with your clothes. But, you know, what's interesting about the fashion industry, unlike a lot of other industries, is how fragmented the supply chain is. And this ability basically to push risk down further and further into the supply chain. You know, a lot of the brands and retailers that we know today are essentially glorified marketeers. You know, you think about some of the most iconic brands, whether it's Louis Vuitton or Levi's iconic jeans or, you know, for basics, Gap comes to mind. And none of these brands today actually make anything. You know, what they do is they conceptualize or make the patterns and then they push it on to the manufacturers who in turn, there's lots of subcontracting where it eventually ends up in the factory. And this sort of diffuses accountability, you know, because whenever there have been issues that have flared up, you know, gender-based violence, rape allegations in factories, wage theft, you know, workers getting sick during COVID because they're deemed essential workers, even when they're making our sweatpants, 
you almost as an activist have to then triangulate, well, who's going to take care of this? And, you know, the factories will often say, well, it's the punishing schedules of the brands and the low wages. And then the brands will say, well, these are not our workers. And so I think from a regulation standpoint, some regulators are really waking up, you know, within the European Union, they're thinking about, well, should the human rights due diligence be within Europe? And should we be thinking about the culpability in the supply chain? I think for a lot of sending countries, it really talks about the asymmetry of power. You know, I think there's this sense that every time we regulate to make the industry better, then the industry goes somewhere else. You know, when the minimum wage went up in China, the industry ran off to Cambodia. As soon as you started to get more unions and worker voices in Cambodia, off they went to Ethiopia. Why did they go to Ethiopia? Well, because it's the lowest minimum wage in the world. Not because Ethiopia is this grand place of infrastructure, but it's one of the last places to exploit. So the reason it's so deregulated is because of this fragmentation where a lot of the countries in the global south feel like they just have to elbow their way into, you know, asking for down to the last penny, whatever they can get. I do think post-COVID, there is more conversation around suppliers coming together to push back on brands, especially when you're making more value-added product, when you have more R&D technology to say, you know, I'm not going to be in the business of fast fashion, which is basically how cheaply can you make it? And that's where you see all the environmental impacts, all the human rights impact. So I am just so glad, even here within the US, there's some rumbling now of regulation, you know, this newly introduced bill, Senate Bill 62. And it's to say we need a minimum wage here in California. Peace rate has, we have seen, directly impacted health and safety of the women who are literally making our masks for three cents, four cents. And they're one of the largest outbreaks of COVID in LA is in the garment factory. It's unconscionable. And so this bill is something I'm really excited about because for the first time, the legal enforcement, it's holding the brands and the manufacturers culpable. I think for too long, brands have just gotten away with, they're not our workers. It's the people Mm -hmm. who make us profit, but you know, not our problem. So we don't have to regulate it. And something too that comes to mind as you're talking about this is something you've taught me. And there are no loopholes of like, I think as a consumer and not to add on like the complexity of things, but sometimes I think you might read, oh, it's made in America. And automatically you think that's also like kind of quote unquote sustainable, quote unquote, like it's like, like in that realm or whatever. And something you've taught me is like, just because it says made in America does not mean that these workers have fair wages. It does not mean it's sustainable. It's just a way of us of feeling better with buying it sometimes. I mean, there are obviously occasions where that means a good thing you know if that factory is a good factory in LA or whatever it is um so I think I just kind of want to highlight that because I think as consumers I mean for myself that has been something that I thought for a long time was a good stamp and then I'm realizing the more you learn that may not mean that completely I mean you know talk about deregulation even around sustainability marketing there's no regulation right so now that more and more people thanks to all of our collective hard work care about sustainability the brands are very quick to co-op that and market it to us so you know you don't know what's good or bad is organic cotton a good thing well it turns out that if it's coming from the Uyghur region it's forced labor human detention camps so not really you know and similar 
similarly made in America, there is the sense that somehow it's made at home. And I think that there's a similar crisis in the UK right now with some of the crisis with Boohoo in Leicester to say, oh, well, made in the Western world doesn't necessarily mean that the product is uh, good or sustainable. You can have sweatshop conditions anywhere. And we do. So to wrap that up, because now I feel like we just keep adding on like more complexity. Um, So we are, you know, we need to see ourselves as citizens more so than consumers. Um, We have to understand there are so many layers to this and to not get overwhelmed, do things in community and keep learning. But as someone who's like, okay, I do want to start making the right choices. Um, Maybe I want to start help pushing for legislations and stuff like that. Is there any way you can support this new bill? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first and foremost, if you are interested in learning more about Senate Bill 62, you know, check out remake.world. We have lots of literature on it. There is a simple petition where we're collecting signatures. It turns out legislators really are wanting to know whether or not citizens support this bill. So much like pay up, a simple signature goes a long way. And I would say, you know, going back to our earlier conversation about not being overwhelmed, being kind and gentle with ourselves. And that's where we strive as our ambassador community to come together. So for anyone listening in, you know, we can put links on join the ambassador program, check out Remake for educational assets. There are choices we can make every day on how we spend our time and how we vote with our wallet. And each of those steps do add up. And they do make a difference, as we all saw with the Pay Up campaign. I find it so comforting to know that there is, you know, your organization that's auditing these brands because it can be overwhelming. But I think, you know, when when you're a citizen with buying power, we have many choices and we can impact the people who are, you know, people who are making our clothes who have limited choices. You know, women, you know, to this day are still experiencing so much oppression um, in around the world and their choices are very limited. But we as, as citizens have buying power and choices. And I love that balance of, for me, it's kind of like holding holding space for everything where on the one hand, I wanna do everything that I can to to buy better to you know to wear out my clothes you know at least 30 times if not hundreds of times to to make better choices in my life and at the same time to not have guilt when we're not doing things perfectly mm-hmm. so that i just i've i've gained so much from from knowing you and from your community so i definitely recommend for anybody who's not familiar to please go over to remake.world and you know read through the incredible resources because it's it takes out guesswork for the individual because you know when you're trying to see it's like they say that they're sustainable but where in their website does it actually break down how they're sustainable and even with the information sometimes i don't know how to read it i'll see stuff i'm like is that actually good what does that mean so it's great to have you know someone supporting that work that it's like it, it is like having a sister you know when you go into your closet you're not standing there by yourself trying to figure out what to wear you have your your sister your friend there trying to help you water you know <laughs> along with your waist it's yeah. exactly like that you know and that's why we've made our directory of brands more searchable because a lot of our community kept coming back to say you know i know that a way to do this is to use my citizen power for the petitions and campaigns you have but when i do buy I want to know how to spend my money with the brands that are doing better. And there are brands who 
you know, commit to living wages, that are thinking about sustainable materials, that are thinking about end of life. And those are the ones we give the rock star status of on our site. And I know people can really take comfort in knowing that we as a watchdog advocacy nonprofit take no money from these brands. And I think that's really important for people listening to understand as well, because now that we have so many influencers marketing us fashion, a lot of times, even with the sustainable fashion lifestyle, um, it's murky because it's the brands really paying the influencers or you know paying some of these affiliate marketing sites. So you don't really know what's real what's not real it's much like you know carbon research that's sponsored by exxon you don't want the brands to tell you whether they're sustainable or not you know you want us to tell you so think of us almost as like the green bees for the fashion industry we want to speak truth to power yes i love that we are gonna soon end with our rapid fire session um so we're making you ready for that but before i just want to ask you because you are someone you know who's working in this field and so passionate about this field and at the same time you are the like fashionista i just every time i look at you you're beautiful and every time i see you at an event you show up just looking absolutely glamorous so of all the like i guess the 10 um kind of tips for for sustainable fashion that we made what is your favorite what's your go-to for me, it's rental. And, you know, I know that the rental industry is not without its problems. We are getting there. But even in COVID, this idea that I want to zhuzh up my wardrobe, you know, I'm tired of wearing the 10 things I own, this ability to go to some more sustainable designers, but wear something a few times, send it back. I really do think the more we start to think of our clothes as a service rather than a disposable good, that really is the future. I love that. A service rather than a disposable good. I'm writing that down. <laughs> that is like a paradigm shift kind of statement. Like that is when you go, whoa, this is how we're going to start creating the solution around this. You know, like there is an end solution to this. I love that. All right. Are you ready for a rapid fire session? I'm a little frightened, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So number one, fill in the blank. I believe in a positive future because... I believe in the possible future because of the next generation after me, the people who are marching for voter rights, for climate justice, for gender justice. I know that our planet is going to be better off because of the next generation coming into their power. Amen. Mm. Morning bird or night owl? Night owl always. I've been joking that I've been jet lagged for the 20 years I've been in the US. <laughs> And I still operate on Pakistan time. My best thoughts are at midnight. <laughs> You're my opposite. Okay. Um, the best part of my day is? When my children come home from school. It's the wonder with which they just look at the world that gets me to calm down, take a look at the sky or the dew on the grass. And it's just so centering. Little people have a way of really keeping you present in the moment. Mm. What's a favorite quote? Gosh, um, <laughs> I would say maybe our slogan, where your values, you know, it just resonates with people. We have little laptop stickers of that and, you know, on our T-shirts, slogan pins. And it's just such a great conversation starter. You know, people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, what is your value system? And wouldn't you want to wear that? Mm, that's beautiful. Um, what's a book you read that really stuck with you? I would have to say Tanahasi Coates is we were eight years in power. Um, as an immigrant to the US, I just didn't know as much of the 
racial history and connecting the dots. And that book really resonated with me. Um, and, you know, there's so many books. I'm like, can I say another one or just that one? <laughs> but, <Maybe> another one. <laughs> I think uh, Winners Take All uh, by Anand Girdas. It really just helps understand that the private sector is not going to save us from everything. And in many ways, it's just made the top 1% better off and the rest of us not. So many of these issues I've been grappling with in my career, I felt like winners take all, just brought it all together. Literally, I was reading that book and highlighting and saying, yes, yes, exactly this. <laughs> you know, it's a good book when you're highlighting and taking notes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you could instill one change in the world right now, what would that be? I would hold on to how little we have traveled and been closer in community post COVID because that would really put a dent in our climate work. Nice. Something that you're letting go of. Imposter syndrome, you know, as a the tiny brown girl from Pakistan, first in my family to go to college. I think of all the years of really trying to do this work with Jessif, I've almost apologized for my existence. I think we as women do that a lot, you know, people of color perhaps even more. And I think I just need to stop apologizing. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Here I am. I have things to say respectfully and to stop second guessing that. Yes, yes, definitely. And we have every right to speak up and use our voices and we have so much to give. I love that. Um, something that you are inviting more of. Deep listening. Hmm. You know, I, this year in particular, one of our challenges is to hear as much from our ambassador community and change makers. I think we all learn a lot more when we are talking less and listening more. Definitely. Something that I want the world to remember me for. Empathy. Um, I just think that that is a superpower. And, you know, if I were no longer here and people were trying to remember, if the one thing they'd remember me my was, oh, she really listened and tried to put herself in my shoes. I love that. I'll carry that with me. And um, we are all about optimism in action and that's you know the focus of this season so what does being an optimist in action mean to you i think being an optimist in action means celebrating the small wins around the way you know you see a lot of burnout in this work as activists because it just seems so insurmountable so i think celebrating the small joys and wins along the way and really just connecting with the right-minded people. Like this conversation we're having right now, it's just going to set my day up for I can do this and I'm going to do right by our community and workers. So I think surrounding yourself with the right people and celebrating along the way makes you want to make the steps every single day and show up. Yeah, I love it. This makes me want to meet you guys with our little cocktail dresses on and have a glass of wine. <laughs> I, I feel do, like I do. I want to, you know, go to the hair salon <laughs> and wear a pretty cocktail dress and be in New York with you both. Uh, it'll happen. Yeah. One day. Yes, we'll be back. Thank you so much, Isha. This was absolutely beautiful. And we love you and all the work that you're doing. And we're so grateful to be in your community and to continue to change the world with you. 
this is so much about being in community. As you know, I adore and love you both. And as models using your platform for real good, it just, it means so much. So the admiration is mutual. And this was, like I said, highlight of my day. Are you someone who wants to make positive change and work for a sustainable world? Do you want to wake up in the morning and feel excited about the future and the power we have to make a difference? If you're someone who wants to be on the right side of history as we co-create a new kind of world, then the Climate Optimist Masterclass is for you. I built this class to empower you to make small changes in your life that will have a huge positive impact on climate change. You'll walk away with the tools and mindset necessary to keep going and to enact change for yourself and for the world for many years to come. It wasn't until the day I realized that activism can be truly fun and empowering that my life changed for real. And I hope that you too feel like you're ready for this journey. So if this sounds like something for you, or if you just want to learn more, head over to the show notes and click the link for Climate Optimist Masterclass. I created a special link only for Hey Change listeners with a 40% discount. That's 40% discount, you guys, on an eight-week course that I know will be nothing short of transformative. Spots are limited, so click the link in the show notes to claim your spot today. I really look forward to changing the world with you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to think about this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?